growing up, I was very determined. Even though my sisters ranged from 18 months to eight and a half years older than me, I had this belief that somehow I could do anything they were doing, but not when I was their age at that very moment. And my three-year-old nephew, Noah, he shares my same childhood determination to do everything his six-year-old sister, Abigail, is doing. I have never seen a child learn how to ride a bicycle so quickly. By about two and a half, he could fly on his balance bike to keep up with his sister on the trail. Check this out. Okay, he's picking up speed there, but like, I don't know, maybe it's not as impressive as it looks, but he can like coast on that thing. (laughs) I'm blown away. And then his sister, she has pedals, so she has a little more leverage, but my sister's up there and she has to like jog to keep up. And besides keeping up with his sister in play, Noah is determined to keep up with her in conversation. And around that same age that I caught Noah racing on the trail, he mixed up a couple of big words. As he explained, I just found a porcupine that was actually a pine cone. (laughs) Or the tater tot that he could rock on that was actually a teeter-totter, or if that's a colloquialism from Iowa, a seesaw. And I can't help but laugh as I think about these things. And Noah usually laughs too, sometimes with a sense of embarrassment. And when I was little and I wanted to keep up with my sisters, I'd get embarrassed, but I'd often get frustrated. I didn't want to wait to do the things that my sisters were doing. I believed that I should be able to keep up with them despite our age gaps. And I wanted to find shortcuts or ways to bypass the process they went through to be able to do the things they were doing. And maybe you can relate from your childhood or a child in your life. And you know, that lack of patience and resulting embarrassment or frustration, it can be really endearing on little ones. But as adults in the age of instant gratification, we can fall into that exact same trap that isn't so cute when we're grown. And we lack patience, don't we? And we don't wanna push through the challenges that are part of the process. We wanna find ways to skip the process entirely. And today my message is titled, Faith is Meant to Move. And we're gonna explore what the Bible says about the process of faith and what it looks like to keep moving forward in faith. And we're gonna start in the book of James. James is also a younger sibling, but his older brother is Jesus. And following my sisters was very different than following their direction. I don't know if anyone else resists an older sibling's instructions, but we don't see any of that resistance with James. In fact, he fully embraces his brother Jesus's teaching so much that he wrote this book so that we could follow it as well. So turn to uh, James. We're going to start in chapter one, verses two through four. And it says, dear brothers and sisters, When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. This passage is so rich. But it's not an easy passage. I know most of us don't associate troubles or trials with joy. 
But I love the picture that James is painting here. In verse 3, when he shares your faith is tested, that word tested is the same word they used in that time for uh, testing silver in the refining process. The silversmith would um, heat up the silver to remove the impurities, then he would pour it in a bowl. And when that silver reflected back his image, he knew that it was pure. How beautiful is that picture? As we face trials or troubles and we choose to trust Jesus, he helps refine us to become more like him. Now, I don't know about you, but I consider it great joy to have the opportunity to become more like Jesus, who was both fully God but also fully human. And he had the same temptations and trials that we face, yet he lived a perfect life. When I started out talking about my nephew Noah and myself as younger siblings, I talked about how we wanted to skip the process. But when we skip the process, we also lose the opportunity to learn patience and perseverance. In James, we see how God uses the process not only to achieve the goal of becoming a reflection of Jesus, it also produces endurance as well. So I hope that you remember to trust God for the process. And the process might not always be comfortable. Refining silver, it involves heat. And you might be thinking, can we just bypass that part? And I get it. But discomfort doesn't mean that something's wrong. Think about if you haven't been to the gym in a while and you lift weights, the next day you might feel a little bit of soreness, right? That soreness doesn't mean something's wrong. It just means your muscles are going through the process to tear those little small fibers, to expand, to make you get stronger. So in the same way that we trust the process to grow strong physical muscles, trust the process, trust God for the process to grow strong faith muscles. And you still might be wondering, how did James have the courage to write such a challenging verse about, uh, passage about finding joy in refining faith? And I think he found it through watching his brother's living example. Let's read the story about when Jesus walked on water. And James was likely in the boat with the other disciples. We'll explore more about what that, teach, that passage teaches us about both the process of faith, but also the progress to keep moving forward in faith. Turn to the book of Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. 
Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. So where does the forward motion of faith start in that story? It starts when the disciples listen to Jesus' instruction and get in the boat. There would be unknowns ahead, including that unexpected storm, but they trusted Jesus and stepped out in faith. But what happens when the storm comes? They start to worry and they lose faith as fear crept in, right? Does that remind you of the process that James talked about when troubles come and it, it tests our faith? Jesus reassured them to take courage and not be afraid. And then Peter, he showed us what it looks like to keep moving forward in your faith. When he challenged him to, to um, call him, if it was really him, you notice that, that Peter, he put himself in the posture to be able to receive direction from Jesus. And he was listening and he was prepared to act on it. When Jesus spoke, Peter followed by taking the next step out of the boat. And I want to pause here because both the disciples getting in the boat and Peter stepping out of the boat shows us how we uh, move forward. We create that forward motion in our faith. It happens each time we step out in faith. There is a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. that brings this idea to life. He says, faith is taking the first step, even when you don't see the whole staircase. That means it's not getting overwhelmed or obsessed with understanding what the entire staircase looks like or what the entire process entails before you take the first step. It means as the first step is revealed to you, you take it, right? You decide to respond and step out in faith. Now, I can relate to Peter because he was confident taking that next step. Then what happens? He gets distracted, right? I mean, there are wind and waves. It could have been that sensation of the wind. It could have been out of the corner of his eyes, those waves. But he, he starts to realize he couldn't see the rest of the staircase, that path to Jesus walking on the water. All he saw was that those crashing waves all around. And I want to pause here because, I mean, I don't know about you, but it takes a lot less for me to get distracted than standing in a literal storm. I mean, pretty much every single day there is a moment where someone says something and all of a sudden a scene from a musical or a Disney movie pops into my head. I mean, as I wrote this sermon, there were scenes from Aladdin, Zootopia, and Frozen 2 that all came to my mind that I almost used as analogies. I just did it, didn't I? <laughs> I got distracted thinking about Peter's distraction and slipped into my silly brain. So let's get back to Peter for a second. He got distracted by the wind and waves. He realizes, whoa, I can't do this. And guess what? He's right because he can't do it on his own. When he's distracted by the storm, he can't see how walking across the waves is possible. Friends, the impossible is only made possible when we put our complete trust in Jesus. But Peter wavered. He let his eyes wander when he should have kept his eyes fixed on Jesus. 
And we can learn from Peter. Whether we are tempted to let our eyes wander before we take the first step, or it happens at the next step, or the next step. Remember to always fix your eyes on Jesus. And let's think about how faith is meant to move in our lives as we apply these principles to your current reality. Maybe you're facing an unexpected storm right now, a broken relationship, a loved one battling cancer, or concerns about making ends meet amidst rising costs with the current economic state or something else, and you just don't know how you're going to make it through. It might be hard to find faith right now, but I want to encourage you, don't lose hope. Because you don't need to worry about how it's all going to work out because you just need to trust God through the process. He's got this. Put yourself in a posture like Peter to receive the direction from God and reveal that next step he's calling you to take. Then act on it by stepping out in faith. He is with you and he's going to be with you every single step of the way. And I know that things in life, they can happen when challenges come your way and they're going to try to convince you that you need to figure it out on your own. But that didn't work out so well for Peter as he started sinking in the wind and waves. So instead, stand firm on the fact that nothing can shake us when we fix our eyes on Jesus. And I know that this is easier said than done. I mean, my life feels like an ongoing refining process where God places trials and storms for me to apply these principles. And I want you to hear about one season in my life starting in 2010. My high school sweetheart, Dale, and I were newlyweds. We had just graduated from college and I had just landed a gig, a salary gig as our breadwinner. My hopes and dreams for our future were only filled with, with good things, right? However, the next seven years, we faced trials that appeared to be setbacks. Now, nothing was earth-shattering, but times where we really had to lean in and trust God. We could only afford one car, and uh, the job market was tough, especially for an artist with a bachelor's degree. So my husband walked to work every day, um, getting paid minimum wage as a meat clerk at Kroger. Then within the next 18 months, I lost my last living grandparent. I was in two accidents that totaled our only car each time. And a week after we closed on our house, I lost my job. The burden of student loans was completely overwhelming. And you might think, did you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus through it all? <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't. But as we started to sink in doubt, I remembered that I needed to trust God for the process. And I lifted my gaze to look at Jesus. And we trusted him to reveal the next step as we navigated paying our bills and finding me a comparable salary job. Looking back, my husband and I have no clue how we never missed paying a bill during that time. But we know that God made the impossible possible through his guidance and divine provision in our lives. In the next chapter during those seven years, uh, it included a couple of jobs along my career journey, but it also came with a toxic work environment. And 
at the same time, God was stirring in my heart a reactivated passion. He reminded me of uh, the passion he put in my heart at a young age for justice. He reminded me about a trip I went on in college to East Africa where I, he gave me a dream to help empower people to lift themselves out of poverty. Although I was doing my best to learn and grow in my current role, uh, the combination of the climate at work and this reactivated passion to serve globally, it left me unsettled and I wanted to see the rest of that staircase. So I tried to take things in my own hands. I interviewed with a couple of nonprofits and guess what? Each time I was met with rejection. During those years of waiting, God spoke to me through the passage in James that we looked at earlier. And he worked on my heart during that season to help me find joy and contentment and gratitude through it all. And I stepped out and I served locally in volunteer capacities, realizing that God hadn't revealed an opportunity for global impact yet. I still desired that, but... I was doing my best to find joy and purpose with what was right in front of me. I finally let go of the steps that I wanted God to take and I yielded to the steps he was calling me to take to step out in faith and trust him for the process. In late 2017, I interviewed for a role with a company I was pretty unfamiliar with called World Vision. During that interview process, God revealed that all the things that I thought were setbacks were actually a setup. In fact, God started writing my story before I was born. Let's start with my namesake. I am the fourth daughter, so I'm named after my dad. (laughs) Both David and Amy share the same meaning. And I loved being a pastor's kid, meeting other pastors in his local ministerial association in the local church. You probably noticed I have two first names. The second part of my name, Claire, is for my great-grandma, Clara. I learned that she was one of the first people to sponsor a child with World Vision in the 1950s. Then, if you go back further in my heritage, there's another breadcrumb with my grandma, Jean, who passed away before my sisters and I were born, but I always felt this connection to her. During the interview, I uncovered some powerful timelines with my grandma and the World Vision founder, Bob Pierce, that lead me to believe that they may have met. In the late 1940s, she was studying to be a missionary to China in the exact same area where Bob Pierce was evangelizing before he went to China and realized that for children's spiritual needs to be met, their physical needs must also be met. So he came back, and in 1950, he did something about it by founding World Vision. When I took this role at World Vision, it was like one of those childhood, you know, those connect the dots, that all of a sudden it revealed this beautiful picture that included my heritage, my love of the local church that I now get to serve, while also empowering those across the globe that are experiencing poverty with the tools they need to lift themselves out of poverty for good. Before I was able to see the whole picture, I was crippled and confused by the loss of my own plans. But now I see the whole staircase. As for my husband in that entry-level job with a mountain of student loans that we thought was a complete setback, well, it was also a set up because Dale has stepped out in faith steadily over the years, and today he is a store manager at a local Kroger store. And he enjoys stewarding a work environment that promotes fun and cultivates learning and growth. 
as I stand here today, I see that what God has done in our lives, I believe that without a doubt that God's plans are always better than our plans because they aren't bound by human limits or our individual story. You see, they leverage God's boundless boundless power and his greater story. Our only choice is to trust God for the process. And even when we don't see it, because remember, God often reveals this, the step one at a time. And so lean in and let him lead us every step of the way. God can use our faithfulness for his glory and your good along the way. Just like Ephesians 3.20 states, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Now, there is one more application that I want to share with you today. It is another way that God often tests our faith, regardless of our circumstances. It's when he calls us to step beyond fear. It can be unexpected or something outside of our abilities, like the many unexpected heroes we read about in the Bible. However, let's look at an example from your church from the last five years. About 150 people from ZPC listened to God's call and stepped out in faith to bring clean water to our brothers and sisters across the globe by training for a half or full marathon with Team World Vision. Many of them had never considered completing that distance, but they said yes to God's call. And they took it one step at a time and they trusted God for the process. Their doubts could always be conquered as they fixed their eyes on Jesus. And then God worked through them in bigger ways than they could have asked or imagined. And so today, I want us to celebrate their act of faith. So on behalf of the over 2,600 children who now have access to clean, lasting water, because over $130,000 was raised by the team at ZPC, I want to say thank you. And today, I only have time for one more story, but first, I want you to get a glimpse into the journey that they've been on. Check out this video. Our world right now is so divided. We're so broken as a humanity. We're here for such a short amount of time, and why not, why not come together? And let's change our world. Little children have to you know, walk miles to get the dirty water. So it's like, my gosh, how can we not do this? It's affected my relationship with God through community, understanding that we need each other to do what God is calling us to do. It's been amazing, the friendships really that has. we've built, the confidence. I'm 54 years old, never thought I'd be doing a marathon. I am a little old to be out here running. <laughs> <laughs> running this marathon with my son. This is our first one together. World Vision has transformed the way that our family works together. One of the most amazing things that we can kind of instill in our kids is empathy for others. You're doing something to help out others, but there's also something that God is doing in, in our hearts.
In 2019, I traveled to Malawi where I met my World Vision colleague, Rhoda. Together, we approached this water source where women were scraping water out of a puddle to fill up eight-gallon buckets to carry home. And as we walked away, I started to break down. And I said, I wish I could carry that bucket, but I know I'm not strong enough. I'd spill the dirty water that they need. I can't carry the load. And I felt helpless. But then Rhoda said to me, when I was a girl, I carried dirty water. But I didn't start with a big container. She said, I started with a small container, just the size I could handle. As I grew, I graduated to larger containers. She said, you didn't go through the process that these women went through to be able to carry that load. Friends, I believe that we can go through a different process so that together we can carry the load and end the global water crisis for the 700 million people still waiting for clean water. How? Today, we are launching the 2022 team here at ZPC, and you can help carry the load by briskly walking or running a half or full marathon in November for clean water. And you might have just told yourself, I can't do that, and I get it. When I joined the team, I was the person my family least expected to do a marathon. But World Vision has a process that works, including a couch to finish line training plan that gets all shapes, sizes, ages, and abilities across the finish line every year. It starts with just a 20 minute workout. You can do this. And one of the best parts about this team is you don't have to do it alone. Each week, teammates come together to train together and encourage one another, and unlikely friendships form with people you maybe would have never met otherwise as you sweat together on mission for clean water. And immediately after service, we're gonna host a quick info session down front, and coming to this meeting does not commit you to the team, it just means you wanna learn more, but I just wanna invite you to join me there. And I think about this, imagine if we all decided to train together and we crossed the finish line in November, how many women and children will graduate to set down that bucket of dirty water because you brought them clean water in the process? I believe that this process could change your life as you step out in faith, trust God for the process and fix your eyes on Jesus every step of the way. Don't let fear keep you from joining me. And we're gonna transition here to a final song, but first I wanna offer us a prayer. Father, thank you for all that you do in our lives, the way that you provide and, and you show off, Lord. Forgive us for the times when we try to do things on our own, when we need to just yield to your power. Lord, I pray that our lives are a living example of moving in our faith as we follow you, as we fix our eyes on you and trust that you've got this, Lord. I pray that you speak to each one of our hearts during this last song of what you're calling us to do to apply these things to our lives. I ask all these things in your name. Amen.